Welcome to The Top, the podcast that provides you with what you need to succeed in the real estate world. Brought to you by the Collin County Association of Realtors. Get ready to tackle top real estate topics in bite-sized amounts with CCAR President Marissa Benet and Jonna Fernandez, CCAR Chief Operating Officer. Hi, and welcome to The Top. I am so excited to talk to our guest today. We have got a great topic. It is common contract mistakes. And I think this is one agents really listen need to listen to. I'm always shocked at some of the offers that I receive, and I just can't accept them because they've been just incorrectly written. And it's just devastating for their clients that they represent because I'm sure it sours their reputation in the industry. So um, have no fear. We are here to get it all out in the open today. So if your offers are consistently losing out, just listen up. You might be making one of these common mistakes. Okay. So today we are here with Barry Hardman. He is a real estate broker, instructor, and Texas Realtors Leadership Program graduate. So Barry, I am very eager to hear what you are seeing as the most common mistakes on offers in this market. I think one of the most common mistakes is um, agents not wanting to fill in their client contact information in paragraph 21. <laughs> and, the, yeah, and the current legal one, uh, legal curriculum that Trek has put out, um, they expand on that and say that's a that's a mistake on the agent's part because if your client needs to be contacted by somebody that doesn't have the information sheet that the title company had the client fill out and they can't contact the principal in time, that could make your... Okay, great. Another one that I see, and this was part of the, the legal uh, curriculum the last two years, was if a, one of the principals in the contract is an LLC or a trust, that's fine. LLCs and trusts, they can purchase property, they can sell property. But how do you know that that person that's representing that LLC has the authority to sign for the LLC? Uh, and the way that that has to happen is that there you have to have a copy of the uh, certificate of formation, which tells you about the LLC, and then the operating agreement, which says who's allowed to sign for the LLC. And with the absence of the operating agreement, title companies have been allowed to um, issue a, a uh, an affidavit of authority in mm-hmm. lieu of that, but Trek says that that's self-serving. Anybody can sign an affidavit, say, yeah, I can sign for, you know, ABC LLC, but do they really? Um, so you yeah. have to make sure. And it's also, if money's going to be dispersed uh, into that LLC's benefit um, because they're selling the property, it has that LLC has to have a bank account. Otherwise the title companies might get in trouble for issuing a check to a person uh, sent to the LLC. So that's why the LLC has to have bank account. Yeah, that's so important too. And I think that's something the agent should be asking when they're getting their buyer rep agreement signed. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just saying this, it should not be something you're figuring out when you're writing the contract. It should be when you're getting the buyer rep. Yeah. I mean, you got a CYA, my friends. Or two days prior to closing and the title company says, oh, I need a copy of the operating information. Yeah. So and is, did yeah. you know that you, your, your client can't sign? Oh, Exactly. Red flags. Uh-oh. Someone will be dancing very quickly after that. <laughs> Another one is on the broker information page. I've seen to where one party has not filled out the broker information of the other side. The other uh-huh. broker hasn't filled out the listing broker or vice versa. Yep. Or in an intermediary, okay, an in-house transaction, they won't put the other agent's information on the right side of the page. They'll put information. 
Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's uh You know, I'm at a big brokerage and and that's there's intermediary happens all the time, but you know, I don't represent both sides. There are two separate agents and absolutely. they got to know how to fill it out right and I try and let them know when they do it wrong. <laughs> absolutely. Um another thing I've seen not so much now, but it used to be very big in the past was getting a contract backed over from the other side and the other side sends an email out to everybody and say, Hey, we have an executed contract. And I look at the contract and there's no execution date. Oh, that eats away at me. Yeah. It's now, do you still have a valid contract? Yes, you do. Yeah. But here's the problem. Where does all the timeline start? Um, I had an issue. I was in Italy. The agent sent it over and I got the, the executed contract in the morning and she sent it out to everybody. And I said, I just contacted her. I said, hey, we need an execution date. She goes, I don't need an execution. I said, you're right. I said, but I just want to let you know that your option period has now expired. Well, no, we just executed the contract. I said, it's proven. And at that point, she understood that without that execution date, now you have an, an argument about where all the timelines start and stop. Exactly. And, you know, it's all it's all well and good when the parties can agree on a date that it did execute. But I have seen this in the past where buyer and seller don't agree. On the timeline, exactly. Can you imagine that? Yeah. And that it just creates problems. It problems that don't need to exist. And I think a lot of what we do as agent is that risk mitigation. Uh, that was a red flag that we knew would rise. Honestly, it's a mistake that we need to to not make because uh, it is such an important detail. But it is a common problem that I see in contracts. Another issue that I see from time to time is knowing when to disclose interest in the contract uh, as in, in paragraph eight of the one to four family contract. Uh -huh. A lot of agents believe that interest is just spouse, parent, child, which is what it says in Trello and what it says in Trek. They don't understand that article four of the code of ethics actually says immediate family. Well, the thing is, how, could, how do we define immediate family? It might be different from to the buyer's interest than it is to my interest, but they might define immediate family separately. So they might it might be their wife or their brother, which is not immediate family. According to Trek and Trella, it's not first degree of consanguinity, which is parent-child. So they say, well, no, you don't have to disclose that you're selling your brother's property or your father-in-law, but you absolutely do because that is interest. That is That is very interesting, and I can see how some... People might be inclined to overshare when they don't need to. <laughs> I, I get that too. <laughs> or undershare. I've never known anybody to get sued for over-disclosing. I have known people to get sued for under-disclosing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and so many times as an agent, I have to think about what I'm saying and say, does this benefit my client? And how is the other party going to interpret this? So even if I say something in an offhand comment to the other agent, I need to be very, very careful on what I'm saying and I'm not oversharing or under disclosing and hiding. And it's, it's very, it's a very slippery slope. It is. Another thing is the option money and the earnest money that I see. It's fairly brand new. Now the <laughs> option money and the earnest money is delivered together to the title company. Um, therefore, a lot of people don't understand this. Now that option money, it's now on that three day plus weekends and holiday. Which schedule. I like this so much better. And I know all these commercial agents that have been used to this for yeah. years, they are just laughing at how hard this is for us to grasp. Yeah. It's just, we, I think we all lost our mind when that came out. We're like, what, how do we do this math? Where does the money go? Wait, we don't have to run all over town. We just, we just send it 
to the title company? I don't understand. Title company, one <laughs> check. But here's the caveat. They have to make sure that one check, or if it's two checks, that it's the full amount of the option and earning. Because yes. Because it's not the full amount. The op- the first, It first goes to the option money, and then the rest goes to the earnest money. But if it's not the full amount of both of them, now is the buyer in default for not having delivered the earnest yeah. So. No, I, I see that a lot too. Now, and I, I would I would say I, I hate to say that I think agents are being lazy. I just think that there's so there's no rubber stamp in real estate. And you can write ten or execute ten different contracts and they're all different. And you might not have a scenario where you're writing an FHA offer very often in this market. But you're writing a whole bunch of conventional, conventional, and then suddenly you get a one-off FHA. I can see how mistakes can happen, um, you know, and I try and and really, you know, keep that in mind. As some of these are, I don't think they're malicious. No, not malicious, but we have to remember also when you ask ourselves, what's our fiduciary duty? Um, it's being scrupulous and meticulous. And meticulous is making sure the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and all the blanks are filled in. Absolutely. And I do think that... Um, as a listing agent, if you're receiving a contract that's in, incomplete and incorrectly written, that it's our job to let the other agent know, hey, here's where here's where you kind of goofed up on this and um, don't let them continue to make these mistakes. I think it's a very simple, simple thing that we can do when we're cooperating with one each one another and just trying to get the best offer possible for our clients. Yes. So, OK. Do these mistakes make your client unable to accept the offer or just raise red flags in the transaction that may not go smoothly? Well, to accept the offer as written, yes. To accept the offer on principle, no. You understand what the offer is, but with those mistakes there, um, you can't really get it executed properly. You can say, okay, this looks like a good offer, uh, and I'm not going to call the other side. I'm going to go ahead and repair it myself the offer, feel it, present it to my client because my job is to get it to my client and then get it back to the other side so that we can mutually agree on the outcome of this offer to hopefully get it executed. Yeah. Okay. And then I will let the other agent know that we missed these things, but I'm not going to say, hey, you know, what were you doing? I don't want them to think that. I think it's it's a waste of time to sit there and call the other side and make this. I just need to get it to my client. Get it. Yeah. I got to look at those contracts that come in or I guess offers as they come in and think, well, self, this is going to be par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> Buckle a, up. Right. And a red flag with an offer that was sent in that was badly written. I think it could be a red flag that um, I might have to make sure that the other side is uh, being very meticulous and making sure they're getting things done on the timeline, yeah. you know, getting everything done properly. Yeah. No, those, those are very important. So let me ask you this. Have you ever been under contract on a house and had issues with an agent improperly completing other amendments? Oh, all the time. That's very, that's very, (laughs) very common. And what I do with that, I'll just, I'll get the amendment in and I'll correct it myself. Uh Just like with a contract that's not fully filled out properly. Uh I'll fill in all the blanks. I'll correct the amendment myself. I'll send it to my client and I'll send it back over there. The thing is that once I've changed that initial amendment that they sent in, have actually changed their their offer for an amendment, which makes that initial offer on their side invalid. And what I'm sending back to them is now offer on an amendment. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I I know I see this a lot on repair amendments where they're just so unclear that it's open for such interpretation. I just I'm like, ooh, I can't accept that. Uh, we I understand the essence, or I believe I understand the essence of what you want, but let's figure out a great way to rewrite this. 
That's exactly right. You have to be very, very precise because words have meaning. And if you don't write it out exactly the way you want it to go down with your client and the other side says, well, this is good enough. Well, maybe not. You have to be very, very meticulous on how you put it out there. Yeah. I mean, you are getting your client in a contractual obligation. So if it's vague, oh man. I mean, I I feel like the, the laws are out there to protect the consumers because the seller has already consumed so <laughs> yeah, there's a good article in this month's Texas Realtor magazine about repair amendments on that. And does the seller have to use the repair person that the buyer is requesting? And the answer that's no. Okay. So Barry, how do you recommend that an agent stay up to date on the current and correct usage of forms, newly required forms and just best practices? Uh, easy. Train train, train, get into the MLS, practice writing contracts, uh, send it over to zip forms or instant and then send it to yourself via the e-signature program that you use, whether it's DocuSign, um, AuthentiSign or whatever, Mm -hmm. and then send it to yourself like you're a client. And then as you're reviewing it for signature, look for all the mistakes that you're sending to you. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we all owe our, our clients a duty of competency too. So, you know, if it's, if it's not in our lane, you sometimes you just it's better to refer it out. But, you know, I find always having a mentor just being super relevant, always having another agent you can be candid with and bounce your CMAs off of. And, you know, let's OK, look at this contract. How did I fill this out or what could be done better? And, you know, I have been such a huge fan of uh, uh, new contracts uh, panels just hearing how other top agents are doing it because there are so many different ways to skin this cat that I can't say that there's only one way to do things. That's the beauty of real estate. I mean, we just Barry, we're not having to compete on a listing today, but we probably will tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. We're going to do a transaction together. You're going to be on one side. I'll be on the other side, Yeah, Uh, but we know each other. So we know how we work. Yeah. A good working knowledge, a great reputation, being able to speak with the other agent. I think it gives our clients some peace of mind as well, uh, knowing that there's a, another a great agent in the transaction. So it gives them confidence going to get done right. All right. Well, good deal. Thank you so much, Barry, for coming in. You are always just a wealth of knowledge. Thank you. I appreciate you. All right. Thanks. For those listening, thanks for hanging out with us. Don't forget to subscribe to Welcome to the Top wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review and let us know how we are doing. If you have any questions on a topic or you would like to discuss it on a podcast, we want to hear it. So email us at ask at welcometothetop.com. Then listen to hear it covered. Can't wait to hear from you guys. Thanks for listening. And I will see you at the closing table. Special thanks to our hosts, Jonna Fernandez and Marissa Benet. Producer, Bree Westbury. Audio engineer, Ella Madden. Outreach and guest relations manager, Kendall Crawford. And podcast administrator, Sean Offsell. Tune in next time, and don't forget to enjoy your journey to the top. The statements made by speakers in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views or position of the Collin County Association of Realtors, its leadership, or its members. This podcast is not intended to give legal, financial, medical, or other advice, but simply to provide information as a springboard to further discussion and investigation.